Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back. I'm Elliot Harris. David Spada is out of the studio today, but we did manage to get together recently and have a, a wonderful interview with Del Crandall, the former Milwaukee Braves standout catcher and uh, later a big league manager. So here is Del Crandall. I didn't realize you played for the Boston Braves when you started. Uh, well, I was 12. How did I go from California to ending up at the Boston Braves? Well, uh, it was uh, uh, Johnny Moore signed me, and uh, uh, he had scouted me uh, quite extensively, and and uh, uh, he kind of charmed my parents, and uh, so I, I signed with the Boston Braves. I signed a, a, Mil- uh, a Milwaukee Brewers contract. They were the AAA farm club of the Boston Braves at that time. And uh, so uh, I was able to go to spring training with uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers. So uh, it, it turned out to turned out to be a good move. Who was on that team at that time when you came up? Well, um, uh, there was Earl Torgerson, uh, Eddie Stanky, and Alvin Dark were there. Uh, Bob Elliott, uh, uh, Warren Spawn, and Johnny Sane. Uh, uh, they had uh, Clint Knetzer and. In the outfield, Tommy Holmes, who was uh, a very, very good hitter. And then uh, uh, they traded Phil Macy uh, when they brought me up in on June the 15th. So so they they had just won the pennant the year before. And uh, so they, they didn't look, they didn't seem like they were going to win it again, I guess. So they decided mm-hmm. to... Uh, uh, to bring me up from uh, from class B ball, which uh, was kind of a bold move at that. Oh, exactly, because having a young catcher up there catching a veteran pitching staff, they had just won the pennant? Yes, exactly. It was, uh, you know, they, Phil Macy was uh, a big part of their, of their pennant winning season, and so it was kind of a, kind of a shock to, uh, you know, to replace him with a 19-year-old kid, uh, but uh, I was certainly glad they did. What was it like being a 19-year-old kid calling pitches for Johnny Sane, Warren Spahn, people like that? Well, Warren Spahn really could could pitch to anybody. I mean, he had such good control. And uh, although at that time uh, he was more of a of a, a fastball pitcher and didn't have the screwball and um, uh, had a uh, a palm ball at that time, which he finally uh, got rid of because the, the screwball and the palm ball were about the same speed. Uh, but uh, but they were good. Johnny Sane kind of called his his own game. Uh, uh, Bill Voisel was there at the time. Red Barrett, uh, 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 Hogue, and uh, Bob Hall was there. So 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 and anyway, um, it was it was. Of course, you know when you're 19 years old, you think that uh, that you know everything anyway. So, so, so it was a, a, a kind of a, it was a transition for sure. But but uh, it was it was really a, a great great experience, and and I, I have to say that uh, that people treated me very well there. So you didn't come up with the saying, what is it, "Spot insane and pray for rain." Yeah, that was that was what it was in in 1948 when they won the when they won the the, the pennant, the National League pennant. It was 
it was uh, kind of that. But they they ignored the fact that uh, Vern Bickford was a very very good pitcher, and I think he won 14 games that year. So so they kind of left him out of the mix, but it it uh, it, it it rhymed very well anyway. And then you go in, you get your feet wet in the big leagues, and then you enter the military service for the Korean War. Uh, yes, yes, I was there a year and a half. Uh, played almost as much in 1949 as I did in 50 because I made a, a trade for Walker Cooper, who was an established uh, major league sure. catcher. And uh, and then in spring training of uh, of the following year, uh, I went into the service. And I, I forgot to mention that Johnny Antonelli was was there also. We were about the same age, and so he was a big help to me. Um, he was the, one of the bonus babies that signed in 1948. So in 1949, we uh, uh, formed one of the youngest batteries, I guess, that uh, in, in Major League history. But. Uh, John Antonelli was a, a big help to me, and, and he and I both went into the service about the same time. Did you play ball in the service, or were you fighting? No, uh, I, you know, they they kind of spoil athletes, and uh, so I, I played. I was at about 13 months at Ford Ord, which we had a, a baseball team, and then when I went overseas, they stopped me in Japan, and I was able to uh, uh, play baseball over there, too, so... Uh, and then, then I got back just in time for spring training in 1953. By then, the team had moved from Boston to Milwaukee. Yep, that was they moved. I, I think it was about March the 15th in, in spring training where they uh, they moved from Boston to Milwaukee. It was it was uh, kind of a sudden move because it created, uh, I guess, problems with with uh, travel and so forth because we were still. Still uh, using trains in, in those days, but uh, uh, the following year they were able to adjust the schedule so that uh, it, it wasn't so bad. And you had some potent offense then. You had Aaron, Eddie Matthews, Joe Adcock. You put some big runs on the board. Oh my goodness! You're talking about uh, you know two Hall of Famers and Henry and uh, you know, I've, I've always called him Henry. I know his name is uh, Hammer and Hank, but. But uh, we we used to call him Henry all the time, and and of course Eddie Matthews and and Joe Adcock could hit hit him out of out of Grand Canyon, I think. And uh, Wes Covington was there. Johnny Logan was uh, a big contributor to uh, uh, to what we were able to accomplish there in Milwaukee. And and of course you had uh, uh, Spawn and Burdett, uh, big big uh, winners, and, uh, and then, we were able to fill in with Gene Gene Conley and Bob Rush and. In, in those days, so Don McMahon came along. So we really did have a, a really a good club that could swing that could swing the bat. Johnny Temple on that team? Uh, no, no. Johnny Logan was John, on Johnny on Logan was a short, yeah, yeah, okay. a shortstop. Uh, uh, Johnny Temple played for Cincinnati. Right. Okay. For some reason, I thought the two of them played together. No, they they, they uh, fought a lot. Uh, when we were going to Cincinnati, it seemed like it, it wasn't a series and, until Johnny Temple and Johnny Logan uh, came to blows. But uh, uh, it was it was a great rivalry. And I see from between '53 and '59 that Braves pitching staff was either first or second in ERA every year, except for one year. Was that because of your great calling of games? <laughs> well, I'd like to think so, but but we just had some talented pitchers, and of course led the way with. Uh, uh, Spawn and uh, and Burdett, 
uh, and Bob Buell was a, a big part of it also. And he was, you know, he won, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 games a year. And Gene Conley came along and, and helped us out. Uh, but, uh, it was, it was mostly, uh, uh, the doings of those, those two veterans, uh, Spawn and Burdett. But, uh, you know, you like to think if, if you're back there, uh, uh calling, uh, uh, Joey Jay was there too, Carlton Willie, I almost forgot those guys. Uh, when you're back there, you like to think you make a contribution to the pitching staff. So, so, uh, um, hopefully I did. Now, there are those who will say that, uh, Luper Dett, uh, I don't know how to put this delicately. Loaded no, up the baseball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it's a, did it's you a have to call for the for the spitter, or did he just throw uh, it off naturally? Well, uh, uh, I was able to catch it, so I'm just not sure. I'm not sure whether that uh, that myth uh, was reality or not. You know, it's a very tough thing to talk about because. Uh, uh, the Cincinnati Reds and Bertie Tebbets thought it was it was real that uh, that he did throw the spitter and and uh, but but you don't like to uh, I, I don't like to say he did uh, and and I don't like to say he didn't so but half, so but half of that the success of that pitch is getting in the opponent's mind that hey he is he is doctoring the baseball whether he's doing it or not right. Well, he was he was great at that. He could get inside the hitter's head just about as well as anybody. And and I, I know when uh, hitters would uh, step out of the box and ask the umpire to look at the baseball, uh, he would always uh, do one of three things: he would wipe it off on his uniform and then toss it to the umpire, or he would roll it all the way on the grass, uh, which uh, if it was a spitter would negate the uh, the wet spot. Or he would throw it directly at the hitter. So, so he had two things that he did when when they liked to step out and say, "Hey, let me look at the ball." So, I wouldn't want to be a, I wouldn't want to be a catcher for a pitcher throwing a spitball because I don't want to touch that ball. <laughs> well, baseball is not the most sanitary of games anyway. So, <laughs> so, so it, it it was it was okay. Now I will assume you were behind the plate the, the night you guys went up against the Pittsburgh Pirates and Harvey's Addicts was. Uh, Perfect into into the thirteenth inning. What was that, that was game an like? amazing. That was an amazing game. Uh, you know, no no walks, no errors, no nothing for for twelve uh, consecutive innings, and and uh, I contributed, uh, I guess, four outs to to his cause, as did uh, a lot of other guys. But it was just one of those uh one of those games i, I don't i don't think we even hit the ball uh good um, i think del rice uh, pinch hit and and hit a line drive to uh, uh left center field or something like that but uh but i don't think anybody hit the ball really well so it was just uh, one of those one of those great uh uh experiences that you, that you have in the game of baseball unfortunately i was able to be part of it and then then of course the the error and uh and uh, uh, the intentional walk to, to Henry, and and then Joe Adcock hitting the ball out of the ballpark that that Henry thought was just um, uh, up against the fence. So so he cut across, and instead of being three to nothing, and Joe Adcock getting a home run, it was one to nothing, and and uh, Joe got credit for a double. So, uh, but it was it was great to be a part of that game, no question. And then you won the World Series finally in what '57 against the Yankees when you hit that home run in the last game. Yes, um, 
a lot of people were angry at me for hitting the that home run because uh, they said that that they had four in the pool, <laughs> and uh, and I got I got a lot of a lot of notes from people who uh, who were mad at me, but but nobody wrote me the fact that they had five in the pool. So so anyway, uh, uh, yeah, that was that was great too, and it it looked like just uh, another home run until. The Yankees loaded the bases in the uh, in, in the bottom of the ninth inning, and Moose Gowron came to the plate. So if he hits a grand slam home run, it, it, we still have a one-run lead. So so it turned out to be um, a, a, a big home run, or could have been a big home run. But then Matthews uh, uh, fielded the ground ball and back at third base and uh, stepped on the bag, and it was uh, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to describe. Uh, that kind of, of feeling because uh, it goes back to when you were a kid and wanted to be a major league baseball player and then you're able to to do that and and then all of a sudden you win the world series it's it, it's quite a it, it it is quite a high there's no question about that we we had an, an opportunity really to have a kind of a dynasty there uh because in uh in uh, 56, we finished one game uh, behind Brooklyn. Then we won it in in 57, won, won the World Series, and then we had a three-game lead in, or a two-game, uh, yeah, three-to-one game lead in uh, in 58, and the Yankees came back to beat us. And then we finished in a tie in 59 with the Dodgers. So we could have had quite a quite a dynasty, and uh, but it, but it just didn't work out that way. Now, in your career, you you caught three no hitters, two of them. In 1950, one by Burdett, one by Spahn. Did you know early on that both of those guys had no-hit stuff? No, neither of them had no-hit stuff. Uh, you know, when, when you talk about when you talk about stuff, you uh, you know you think of Sam McDowell or, or Sandy Koufax and uh, those kinds of people. But Spahn and Burdett had to do it with control and movement of the baseball, and had to had to count on their um, Although Spawn struck out quite a few, but but really had to uh, count on the on the defense of uh, you know to be able to throw a no hitter, and uh, and and the defense came through for for both of them, uh, but they did they did have just wonderful control and and probably uh, good movement to their pitches uh, on on those particular uh, nights. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a thrill. The first one was Jim Wilson. That I caught in 1954, and uh, that was the first no hitter uh, that I caught. So, so it is it is uh, a big part of. It. I think uh, Jeff Torborg's the only other one that has caught three no hitters, and uh, so so it's it's uh, uh, a good feeling to know that um, that you were able to do that. I see your 11 time All Star. I know a couple of those years is when they had the two uh, two All Star games in one year. How are you not in the Hall of Fame? Well, I I I. I uh, it's it's hard. To, well, well, I don't know. I I, di- I didn't have the offensive statistics uh, uh, to uh, you know when you hit two fifty four. That's not not going to get people too excited. Uh, I think defensively, I was probably as as good as anybody uh, that 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 played and uh, in that era particularly. And uh, so so it's just uh, I, I, I'm not sure I deserve to be there. It would be wonderful, but uh, but I, I don't you know I don't kid myself. I, I, the offensive stats uh, weren't there, and 
and even though the defense was there and and uh, uh, so so you know I don't know it just it just never uh, it never crossed my mind that that I was going to get into the Hall of Fame. Now moving from playing to managing, I assume it's a little bit simpler for a catcher since the catcher's always the smartest player on the field, right? <laughs> yeah, the tools of ignorance uh, uh, notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, I, I think you do have uh, more exposure to uh, the things that go on in a ball game. Uh, you know, not not that there haven't been some some very very good managers who have not been uh, you know catchers, but but I, I think I think you have a kind of a leg up, so to speak, uh, uh, because you are involved in a lot of things that the manager does, and uh, and you're you're close to the manager, and you manage. Uh, kind of manage your pitching staff, and that's very important as, as far as uh, being a, a good manager is concerned. And uh, uh, so I enjoyed my experiences uh, uh, there. I uh, uh, didn't have uh, uh, good ball clubs because the, the, the Brewers struggled when I took them over for three and a half years, and then I then I went to Seattle, which was, um, which was a young ball club, also an expansion ball club, and and so it was it was difficult, uh, but I but I enjoyed it nevertheless. I, I I felt like that the ball clubs were better uh, when I left them than um, you know than they were when I got there. So, and Robin Yount is a big uh, a big plus for me because uh, uh, he was uh, 18 years old and. Uh, I saw him work out in in, uh, in spring training, and uh, went to my uh, general manager, who was then Jim Wilson, and asked him if uh, if an 18 year old kid could uh, could make our ball club. And he says, "Well, sure." So I ended up playing him for uh, uh, about about 15 games, and uh, he handled the pressure very well. And he had boot a ball, and you wouldn't even know the next play that he had booted it and didn't take it to the plate with him. So. So that was uh, uh, one of the things I did right anyway. Well, not too many managers would say, you know, I want to have an 18-year-old shortstop out there. Well, you know, so you we, know, we weren't going anyplace. I don't think we were fooling anybody, and it, it gave us an opportunity to... Uh, Rick Arbach was our shortstop, and, and not to take anything away from him, but, but it just seemed as though um, uh, Robin... Uh, it had so much more p- potential, and uh, and so it, it certainly proved uh, to be the case. Did you coming up as a 19-year-old have any influence on promoting Robin as an 18-year-old because people had faith in you at 19, so you figured I might as well have faith in Robin. You know, he earned the he earned the right to uh, uh, to be on that club. I, I think my situation was a little bit different. Uh, I came out of the out of the minor leagues. Um, after uh, Billy Southworth and John Quinn had come down to see me play in Evansville, uh, but but Robin uh, really earned his way on the club uh, because of his play in spring training. I uh, I saw him work out. I was standing behind the cage and I saw him work out one day, and and uh, he really caught my eye. In fact, I uh, I hit him some ground balls on my own. He was right near the end of his uh, workout. And uh, we had a rough field down there in, in Sun City, and and the balls were hitting him on the shoulder, and and it didn't seem to bother him. They were hitting him on the in the belly, and you know they were taking such bad hops. But 
but he just stayed with it and showed a good arm, showed good range, and and that's when I went to Jim Wilson and asked him if he could make the ball club. And then, and then of course I played him for about 15 games. So he really earned his way on the ball club, and and I, I think uh, my situation, I just kind of snuck up on everybody. Did you envision someday Robin Yount would be a Hall of Famer? Well, uh, you know, I don't think you can envision anybody being a Hall of Famer real early in their career because they have to do certain things uh, before you start thinking that. Um, you know, like Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron probably could have uh, uh, led the league in hitting every year, but but for some reason he decided that he was going to be a home run hitter and 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 certainly turned himself into into the best home run hitter ever. Uh, but uh, and and Eddie Matthews, uh, you know, he wasn't a very good third baseman to begin with, but then he turned himself into a, an excellent third baseman and just continued to hit home runs. So I think you have to play play for a while. Certainly his uh, his attitude and his hustle and and the way he played the game uh, certainly had uh, all the indications uh, of, of, of a young man that's going to play there for a long time. And he wound up getting his 300 hits, and here he is in the Hall of Fame. So, I, I think it was probably a little harder to project him as a Hall of Famer, as a, as a, a little easier for Matthews and and Aaron and, and those types of players. I'll tell you what you don't get credit for is when you were managing the Dodgers Triple A team from about '76 to '82, they had Rookie of the Year after Rookie of the Year come from Albuquerque, and I think it was because of your managing. I mean, look, you had Fernando, Sutcliffe, Steve Sachs. Steve Howe, I mean, what did you do to get those guys ready for the majors? Well, you know, the Dodgers in those days uh, really uh, had some talent, and and they most of them ran through uh, the Triple A AAA there at Albuquerque, and it was a it was a whole lot of fun managing. Not only did they have uh, uh, did we score a lot of runs and so forth, but they had good attitudes. Uh, uh, they 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 played the ball. Uh, they played baseball hard, and they played it very very well. And they had talent, so we, we were we were a pretty good feeder for the Dodgers there for for a long long time. Although Steve Sachs never uh, never did play for me, um, and uh, Valenzuela did for just a, just a very short period of time. Uh, but the other guys uh, were, were were really intense ball players and. Uh, and we just we just ran through some good talent there in Albuquerque. The pitching staff, I mean, you know what, Dave Stewart, Bob Welsh coming through there also. I forgot about. Yes, right. We did have some. We did have some some good pitching come through. Uh, as you mentioned, Sutcliffe was one of them, and and uh, so so we did have some good pitching, uh, but we scored a lot of runs, and it seemed like it seemed like you know those guys couldn't pitch uh, every day. So we had uh, some other guys, and they seemed to get the big outs. Right when they needed big outs, we uh, we seemed to get them. Uh, Alejandro Pena was was a really uh, a good reliever for us, and came up to be a, a good pitcher on the major league level. Also, what was Henry Aaron like as a teammate? Henry Aaron, was a, Henry Aaron was a great teammate. He he was. Uh, uh, he, uh, Matthews was very very important to him in his development. Uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie, and and Henry became very close, and and uh, in the clubhouse, and and I think he was very, very instrumental in in how quickly uh, Henry developed uh, 
from uh, uh, being a little bit shy and, and so forth to to really uh, coming out of his shell and and uh, he but he was a great teammate. I, I remember when when we uh, got him. The, I was managing the Brewers when we when we got him in '75 and. And the first thing he did when he came into the room, he said, uh, "He said, hey, he said, I, I'm not here to be a distraction. He said, I just want to do whatever uh, you want me to do. And uh, uh, he says, I'm, I'm glad to be here. So that, that's the kind of guy he was. When you were broadcasting the White Sox from 85 to 88, I remember you. Was your broadcast partner Don, Don Drysdale? No, my partner, I was on radio, and Drysdale was on uh, on television. My uh uh, partner was uh, was green. Uh, um, I want to say Lauren, but of course that uh, that isn't right. Lauren, uh, is, isn't that isn't that awful that I that I've forgotten his name? Lauren Green's the name, I believe. Right. Uh, what is it? I, I think you I think you nailed it, just like you do would a base runner trying to steal base. Yeah, Lauren okay. Green. I, okay. When I think of Lauren uh, Green, I think anyway, of the he, cowboy actor. <laughs> yeah, or Lauren yeah, Brown. He, he, anyway, he was he he was really good to me. He was uh, uh, he gave me an opportunity once he found out that I could speak. Uh, he was very good to me and let me uh, let me go with uh, uh, with uh, uh, explaining plays and and that sort of thing. Uh, so. So it worked out good. I enjoyed that job, and then I, I went uh, to the Brewers and was on television with Rory Marcus, and and enjoyed that job too. So uh, I've I've had actually, you might say that I've lost a lot of awfully good jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so you never got a chance to work with Bob Euchre calling Brewer games. No, no, never did. <laughs> uh-uh. uh, the best baseball player you ever saw during your career. Or so oh, there's no question. Henry Aaron's the best, the best player that I ever saw. Um, he didn't have the flair of uh, of Willie Mays. Um, uh, he he could throw better than Willie Mays. He could uh, he could run the bases as well as Willie Mays. And he, if if they would have been able to steal bases in those days, if that would have would have been the game, uh, you know, he could have stolen as many bases as Willie Mays. And he. He was as good a right fielder as Mays was a center fielder, but but Mays, of course, had that big flair about him, and Henry just went about his his work in uh, uh, without without any flair at all. He just uh, continued to hit home runs. So Henry Aaron's my pick. I was at a Brewer game over the week with my kids, and I saw a tribute to the Milwaukee Braves, the Boston Braves. They're in Milwaukee. I always picture the Braves with Atlanta now. And the Brewers being like a pilot spinoff. Do you associate more with the Brewers or with the Braves? Oh, with the Braves. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, there's no question. I, I, I was very uh, uh, glad that I could uh, manage the Brewers. But, but when you talk about uh, uh, managing, I think you have to have a whole lot of success for a long period of time to associate yourself with the ball club. But. But my uh, my career in Milwaukee was was actually as a player, so so uh, uh, I'm a Brave, and 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 you know they did a nice thing for me there in in Milwaukee. They have a roll of honor that they call and and uh, call it, and they added uh, me to that uh, to the plaques that they have there in in uh, Miller Park. 
so that was good. And, and I'm also a, a member of the uh, of the Braves Hall of Fame that's housed in in Atlanta. So so that that takes in uh, uh, Boston Braves and Milwaukee Braves and Atlanta Braves. So so I'm I'm, I'm very fortunate to to be a part of that too. Two down, just one to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that one, that one, it 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 it's it's, it's too far in the distance for me to even sit. Welcome back, and thank you for having listened or watched or both to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. I would like to thank our guest Ann Myers Drysdale and Del Crandall. I'd also like to thank our producer, Dave Olson, for another phenomenal job. Tune in again. We're on podcast. We're available anytime at TalkZone.com, Sports and Torts, with David Spada and Elliot Harris. Thanks again, and see you next time. <laughs>